what we've done over the last couple of weeks is we've taken a look at the different times in the Bible where God either works or, or, or does a miracle through fire. And so a few weeks ago, Pastor Jordan, if you weren't here, he shared a story of, a, of, a, of three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they got captured against their will, taken to an evil land of the, 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 the empire of Babylon, and they got indoctrinated with false religion. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, I want you to bow down to this golden image that I've made, this golden idol. And they said, no, we're not going to bow down. And he said, if you don't bow, we're going to throw you in this fire. And they said, well, you can throw us in the fire, uh, but we're not going to bow down. And and God's going to save us, but even if he doesn't, we're still not bowing down to your idol. And so Pastor Jordan just said, when's the last time you had an even if, uh, even if faith? I'm going to follow God even when he doesn't do what I want him to do. I'm going to follow God even if he doesn't, you know, answer my prayer the way way he wants, the way I want him to answer it. And so we looked at that story. Last week, I introduced you to a man named Moses. Uh, And Moses was just a man who who murdered somebody. He was on the run trying to stay away from his past. And God picked him and said, you know what? No, I'm going to use your life. And so he had this meeting with with God at the the Bible says in a burning bush in the book of Exodus. And and he had all sorts of excuses and reasons that he should not be used by God. And so I just just asked you, you know what? When's the last time God asked you to do something that you didn't do? And and kind of why aren't you doing it? And I said, there's never going to be a perfect time for you to do the will of God. Like, not everything is going to align. There's, there's, there's always going to be obstacles, and there's always going to be excuses. And so next week, in our final week, we're going to take a look at the book of Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to show you a group of men and women who were complete cowards in one part of the Bible, and then the Holy Spirit fills them up with fire, the Bible says, and, and they boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they've changed the world ever since. And so we're going to take a look a little bit at church history and how we got uh, to where we're at today. Uh, but today I want to introduce you to a man named Elijah. So it's, the Bible's kind of confusing. There's a man named Elijah and Elisha. And Elisha is the pupil of, of this man, Elijah. And Elijah in the Bible is a prophet of God. And I want to warn you about this message. If you're, if you're not a church person, you know, you're, there's going to be something in here for you to take. But this message is really specifically for, for those who are kind of on, on the fence, for, for the, 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 like the the normal church people, the, the normal Christians, the ones that don't want to overcommit. This, this message is, is, is for you. This is what I would call one of those messages where you either go forward or you, 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 you completely just quit. Like what I felt in my spirit is for somebody in this, this room or out of the campuses, this is going to be the message that, that changes your life forever, or this is going to be the last sermon you ever listen to at Journey Church. Like that's how, I, I want to warn you, that's how... I think weighty that this message is because this story is powerful. The one thing about, about fire that, that I've realized is fire will, will cause you to make a, a pretty uh, distinct, precise decision. And so the, the, the title of my message is Decisiveness in the Fire. I don't know if you've ever done this. When I was a kid, my parents put me on the fourth floor of our house. We lived in a row home right across from Boardtown Elementary School. And so it had a, a, a finished basement, a first floor, a second floor, and then they, they converted the attic into me and my brother's bedroom. Uh, and so one day at school, they had the fire, the fire company come in and they, they did like a fire kind of safety course and explained you should get, a, you should get a, a plan of action. And they gave you those stickers. You guys remember those stickers? They're kind of eerie, actually. You walk by and essentially, they put, you put the stickers on the windows, and, and the reason you put the stickers on the windows is because you were in the attic, and if a fire ever started, you were screwed, and you were hoping that the firefighter would see the sticker and go, oh, there's, there's a kid in there, they should go save him. But I remember distinctly after the firefighters came, I was like terrified. I'm like, we don't have a ladder to throw out the window. 
I got a sticker basically asking for a fire to come to this window. And so I got a sticker on my window. And as a, as a kid, as a 9, 10, and 11-year-old, I, I remember coming up with a plane. If there was ever a fire, I was going to jump out of my four-story window onto the, the roof of the first story, drop Jackie Chan style, right? Roll off the roof and be scot-free. And I wasn't going to worry about my brother. That was my plan. And so, like, that was the decision. If I ever got into a fire, I've even done that now at my house. My kids, they've done the same things. They're like, we need to have a decisive plan that will be put in place if we ever get in the situation of a fire. I think fires cause that. And so today, I hope my message lights something inside of you, and literally it causes a decision that you can, you can never go back on. It's not, it's not like a, uh, I'm going to kind of be halfway in, halfway out. This is one of those messages where you either, you either get more serious about your faith or you just, simply, you just simply stop it. And for those of you who are new to your faith, maybe you're just interested, maybe you're a new church person, you know, this message is not so much for you, but it, it's a warning before you ever step into your faith. The Bible says to count the cost, that it's a, it's a life-altering decision that you make that requires everything from you. So let me give you a little, little background of, of where we're at in the Bible. The, the time frame is, is about 874 BC. That means before Jesus Christ came to the earth. But stuff started going bad in the, in this, in the, in the Bible, in, in the people of Israel in around 1,000 BC. So 1,000 years before Jesus came, stuff started going bad. They had a, they had a, they had a king named David, the, the country of Israel. It was a pretty unified nation. David was a, a semi-good king. He had some failures, but he was a semi-good king. But within one generation of, of David, because of some of the unwise decisions that he made, the, the kingdom had literally been torn in two. Ten tribes, they formed what was known as the northern kingdom. That was, they called that Israel. And two tribes, they formed the southern kingdom, and they called that Judah. These, these kingdoms didn't really get along. And what happened is, in the northern kingdom, which was the kingdom of, of Israel, they had the, the capital of, of Jerusalem there. And, and in the capital of Jerusalem, which I, I said that wrong, sorry, I'm not, I'm not good at history. That was the southern kingdom. And so in the southern kingdom, they had the capital of Jerusalem, and that's where the temple was. And so good Jewish people would go there and worship. They would go there and worship. Three times a year, they would make a pilgrimage and worship there. The problem was, now you had two, two different kingdoms. And the king of the, the northern kingdom, his name was Jeroboam, he said, I don't want my people traveling back to that land because what's going to happen is they're going to fall back in love with, with, with that temple and that religion. They're going to lose. Their, they're not going to honor me anymore. And they're actually going to come back and they're going to try to kill me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to convince them that's too long of a trip to go to, to worship God. I'll make my own temples, I'll set up my own idols, and I'll convince them it's easier just to stay in this country, it's not worth the long trip. And so what happens is he makes all these little holy places, and he says, you know, here's this God, and here's that God, and here, you don't need to go, go far, that trip is going to cost you too much money, your kids are a pain in the butt, try traveling, you know, a couple days on camel with kids asking you if you're there yet, you're there yet, are you there yet, before iPads, and so don't do all that, like just go to these places, and what happened is, is convenience set in. And when convenience sets in, you know, the, the worship of, of God, it kind of goes haywire. So these people began to worship all sorts of, of weird gods. And I noticed this happening even in, in what I would call our church culture is we're not worshiping 
going worshiping little stones or gold statues. But what's happened in the church world is we began to build our message off convenience. We want to make it convenient for people. So, you know, how easy is it for you to get to church? You know, you won't ask for, we won't ask you to tithe anymore. We'll just ask you to give 2% now. And so if that's convenient for you and, you know, we, don't, we, we know the average church person only goes to church twice a month. And so we'll make sure we have online church so you can sit in your PJs on Sunday morning and catch it online. And we'll do all these things. I even heard churches are going, you know what? Now people don't go to church anymore. You know, they don't even go to church. So we're going to up our, our experience experience online to make sure they're comfortable while on their lazy boy, you know, in their house. And everything kind of gets, gets convenient. The problem is, is it begins to ruin people's relationships with Jesus. We, we begin to look at people and go, well, that's just, that's just normal. Like, check out some of these things and, and what I would call an it's okay church culture. Like, you know, we do that, but, but it's okay. Like, check these out. 33% of Christians now attend church regularly. That means, that means two out of three Christians go, well, you know, I believe in God, but I don't really like his church, and, you know, I don't really want to go because I'm busy. I got all this stuff on Sunday. And so, you know, two out of three go, you know, I'm going to stay home on Sunday. What's the big deal? 35%, two out of three, or one out of three read the Bibles now. So two out of three go, the Bible's stupid. It's useless. You know, I'd rather read Google and and. and and figure out what President Trump said this week, and figure out what this person... I'd rather do that than actually hear the, the, what, what God would say to me, than actually listen to, to truth. 18% serve at church. That means less than 2 out of 10 Christians go, I'm going to not only go to church, I'm going to be the church. Uh, 16% attend a small group, which we're starting in a couple weeks. 7% tithe, right? They, 7% of people go, I'm going to put God first. And 5% ever share their faith and lead their friends to the Lord. 95% of Christians now go, you know, I'd rather have a convenient faith than a faith that has any type of impact. You know what, you know what that means, if, if we're being real? 77% of Christians have, no, have other commitments on Sundays besides God. 60, 65% would rather read their social media than read the Bible. 84% don't have time to do the one thing that Jesus said to do in order to have a great life, which was serve. 93% are so far into debt that they can never, ever tithe. 95% are too busy to deal with life on this planet than they are to deal with eternity. Like there's, there's this, this, this problem happening. And so what happened is 130, 36 years passes and the worst of the worst kings comes, comes into play. His name's Ahab. The worst part about Ahab is his wife. You know what I'm talking about. Her name was Jezebel. It just sounds evil. And Jezebel just encourages more and more idol worship. She says, you know what? I'm going to bring the, the most powerful God that we have into this country, the God of Baal. And, and Baal, essentially, he was looked at as the most powerful God because he controlled, they thought, the agriculture, the, the rain, uh, the, the clouds, things like that. And so we're going to begin to worship Baal. She was so evil. She Not only was, were they making worship convenient, she killed every prophet of God that she could get her hands on. And she began to, to promote prophets of Baal. And so she's, she's, she's evil. Ahab's evil. They're getting rid of the worship of God. They're making it convenient. Uh, they're losing their, their passion for the things of God. And then all of a sudden, in the book of 1 First King, First Kings chapter 17, a man named Elisha shows up. And Elisha is trouble for Ahab and Jezebel. He comes into them one day, and very boldly in the book of First, First Kings uh, chapter 17, he says, he says, guess what? You guys are worshiping a false god of rain, so I'm here to tell you it's not raining one more time until I say so. And he walks away. I mean, he, the dude's got some, 
This lady's killing everybody. I mean, killing everybody. This country is, is, is convenient and, and, and lukewarm. And he walks in and he says, I got a message from God. It's not raining until I say so. Drops the microphone. He walks out. He goes out into the desert. And three years, it doesn't rain a drop. And you can imagine. There's famine. There's animals dying. There's kids dying. There, there's people dying. Everything's going bad. And so they hate Elisha. Everybody hates Elijah. So Elisha shows up three years later. He goes out into the wilderness. He goes through a, a time of preparation. And he comes back and he says, I'm back, right? Guess who's back? Back again. That's, that's... And he comes back and he, he meets a man named Obadiah. Obadiah is a prophet, but he's, he's secret. He doesn't want anybody to know because, because they're killing prophets. And so he's a prophet from God working for Ahab, but, but he's kind of quiet about it. He actually wrote a book in the Bible, but, but, but he's kind of quiet about it. And Elisha meets Obadiah and he says, yo, go get your king. I'm back, and we're going to have a little, a little test to see whose God is, is real. I want you to gather everybody in, the, in this area, in this country, many people as you can get. Get Ahab, get Jezebel, get the false prophets. We're going to meet on Mount Carmel, and we're going to see whose God is real. And so the Bible says, and I don't have time to go over this, in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, that he gathers them. It's in the third year. He gathers them together. And you can just imagine Ahab, whose country is suffering. People, literally, they're worshiping this false god of Baal, and it's not raining at all. Yet they keep doing it. And some of you go, how can people do that? People do it all the time in America. All the time. We take anxiety medication and depression medication and all these things and we worship all of these false things that we shouldn't be worshiping. We can't get off drugs. We can't stay married. We can, it's all at the expense of a false God and we just keep doing it and we say, what's going on? What's wrong? And then we look at God and we go, God, where are you at? I give you two Sundays a month. Every once in a while, I give you a couple bucks. I even put one of those fish on the back of my my minivan, God, I drive a minivan. My whole family goes to Chick-fil-A once a week, God. That's Christian chicken, right? God, I drive, and we look at, we're like, where are you at? Where are you at? So you can imagine, these people are angry with God. They're confused because Baal's not answering them. And Elisha shows back up and he says, we're going to find out whose God is real. I'm tired of this crap. So he begins to talk to them, and you know what Ahab calls him? Ahab looks at him, and I love this part in the book of 1 Kings chapter uh, 18. He looks at him, and he goes, in verse number 17, he goes, he goes, there you are, you troublemaker of Israel. It's not our fault that's not going well. We're praying to a fake God about rain coming. It's not my fault. You know, it's not Jezebel's fault. She's a lunatic. It's not her fault. It's your fault, which, which by the way, I found that church people do that often. Your life doesn't go the way it's supposed to go because you won't fully go into who you're supposed to be. You won't fully commit to what you're supposed to do. You won't make Sundays God's days. You won't put your money first. You won't do all these things. And the first person that you blame is who? Church. It didn't work. I'm like, what do you mean it didn't work? I saw you on Easter. I barely ever see. Well, well, don't worry. I'm, I'm facing all these problems. Yeah, because you continue to worship a false god. So they look at Elijah and they go, you, you, you troublemaker. And by the way, I pray that today is one of those messages. I, hope, I pray that you would walk away going, he's a troublemaker to my faith. That, that's what I, I read that I'm like, that's the type of mess. I don't, 
I don't want to come across as angry with you. I, I want you to understand that, that, that there's people in this church that, that you need to have a moment where, where God's allowed to make trouble with your current faith circumstance. And so Elisha stands up before all these people. They haven't seen him for three years. Last thing they heard him say is, no more rain. And he looks at the people and he says, in verse number 21 of 1 Kings 18, can you bring that up for me? He says, then Elisha stands in front of them and says, how much longer will you waver? Hobbling between two opinions. He says, if the Lord is your God, follow him. But if Baal's your God, follow him. In other words, what he's saying is, the middle is miserable. Can you imagine last week if you were both a Giants fan and an Eagles fan? Could you imagine if you were a father of a son who had kids playing on both sides? And in that moment, neither team, both of them can be winners. I know we don't teach our kids that. And the Eagles kick it through the thing. And you're wanting to cheer for your one son because he was the, the kicker that kicked the 61-yard field goal. But on the other side is the punter of the New York Giants, my new favorite player. And he's kicked the ball, you know, 20 yards shorter than he's supposed to do. And you, after the end of the game, you see both of your sons and you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if to hug the loser or high-five the winner. I don't know if I should be out in public with you or out in public with you. And what the Bible says is because of that, you just continue to hobble through life. You just continue to barely make your way through. He looks at them and he says, you need to pick. You need to pick who you are truly going to serve because the middle makes us miserable. In other words, you claim to be living for eternity, but you invest all of your money in temporary. You claim to, be, to be, have found truth, but you keep following lies. You claim to be called to build God's kingdom, but you spend all of your time thinking about your own kingdom. You can't win at both. There's no such thing as hokey pokey Christians. You put your right leg in one week, you take a little bit of your money out, raise your hand halfway because you don't want to get too too religious, you clap your hands, you know, apathetically, and then you shake it to get out, right? And you do the hokey pokey with, with God. I'm a little bit in, I'm a, I'm a lot out, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit in. Elijah looks at his church, and you're my church. And he says, it's time to decide. Because what you're doing is stupid. Can I, can I just say that? I couldn't think of any other word. <laughs> Giving a couple bucks to, to God is stupid. Every week is, or every once in a while, stupid. Coming to church because you feel guilty? Stupid. Guilt doesn't change you. Signing your kids up for an Awana class or a confirmation class, even though you never go? Stupid. Buying a tombstone or a gravesite somewhere so that one day you can get put close to church, even though you spent every waking moment of your life as far away from the church as you possibly can. Come on, tell me, church. That's stupid. Sending your kid to a Christian school Monday through, through Friday, but then every other weekend not coming to church because you have some kind of activity. I got to go to the farm. I got to do this. My kids play football. Do not. Come on, man. That's stupid. You're actually hurting your kids. You're raising kids that when they get to, get to your age, they're going to go, well, my parents, it was good enough to, for them to halfway participate in, but God, not good enough for them to go all the way in. And you're going to look at them and you're going to go, why did I waste $25,000 or $3,000 a year to get you indoctrinated into a stupid faith? And I'm sorry if it's offensive, but I need to cause you some trouble today. I need to get you to make, he says, 
He says, make a decision. And weirdly enough, guess what happens to the people? Same thing that's happening in all of our campuses. Watch what happens. Watch this, watch this. The Bible says in 1 Kings 18. But the people were completely silent. What crawled up his butt? It's not that. We just were talking about the, the eagles, and I thought we were going to have fun today. Why is he so serious? And the people look at him, and they go, and meanwhile, they're dying. There's, kid, there's kids that are getting buried in, 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 in disease and famine. Their, their, their economy's crashing. Their, 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 their king and their queen are evil, and they're dying. They're going, what's wrong with him? He's going, you're following false gods, and you're destroying your life. Make a decision. If God's your God, then there's one way. If Baal's your God, in other words, you need to decide to fully commit or just totally quit. You, you decide to fully commit or you just totally quit. You know what I'm talking about, right? Many of you, because you won't make a decisive stand, you're like the, the girl and the guy that date. You ever, you, ever, you ever talk to one of your girlfriends or, or maybe you have a, a person you're close with and you go, hey, how long have you been dating? I've been dating seven years. Why aren't you married? And what does she do? Waiting on him. <laughs> Seven years? Waiting on him. And I want to look at the girl. I'd never do this because it would be rude. I go, you're stupid. You know why you're waiting on him? You're waiting on him because he's waiting on somebody else to come. At some point, your decision to not make a decision as a man is a decision. Same thing is true. You know why you've yet to make a decision to go all the way in? Because you're still questioning your faith. You're still questioning if this is real. You're still questioning if this is the best way. You're still questioning if there's something better out there. You still got your eyes fixed on something other than Jesus. And at some point, you're going to have to make a decision to go, there's nothing better coming. There's nowhere else to go. There's nothing else I can do. I have decided to follow Jesus, and there's no turning back. I'm still thinking about it. Let me give you three steps to make a decisive stand either way today. Number one is this. is You need to really just be, be truthful. Answer truthfully with yourself. Answer, answer truthfully. I love the first part of this. So, so the, next, the next thing, it, it begins him and the, these false prophets, 450 of them. They, they begin to have their... They're showdown. It's, it's him versus 450 prophets. I mean, could you imagine that? All the people there, they're all angry with him. Jezebel, Ahab sitting on some throne somewhere. And it's Elijah versus 450 prophets. And this is what he says, and I'm not going to read it to you. I'm just going to summarize it. But in 1 Kings, verse number 22, he says, And Elijah says to him, I'm the only prophet who's left. If you're not ready to walk alone, you're not ready to follow Jesus. Can I tell you that again? If you are not ready to walk alone... You are not ready to follow Jesus. Because there will be moments when physically it feels lonely. It will be moments where people walk away from you. And he says, I'm, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one here. But Baal has 450 prophets. So here's what we're going to do. Bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever bull they want. You inspect whatever bull that you want. I'll take the other one, he says, and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood on the altar. But don't set fire to it. He says, here's the challenge. I'll prepare the other bull, I'll lay it on the wood, and I will not set fire. Then you call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of, of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. Our eye, like our eyes, there's 450 to, to one. 
450 people to one. The Bible says, then Elijah said to the prophets of, of Baal, you go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls, prepare it, put it on the altar, call the name of, of the Lord, but do not set fire. I'm even going to let you go first. You know what he's telling them? Own your truth. If you really believe this, own it. See, at, at some point, because here's the problem with many of you, especially those of you who are raising kids. Your kids know crappy faith. Can I, can, I, can, I, can, I make, can I make sure you hear that? They don't buy into it. You're passing them religion, and they're going, this, there's no point to this. You don't really believe it because I don't see you tithing, and I don't see you serving, and I don't see you sacrificing, and I don't see you concentrate on the gospel, and I don't see you share your faith, and I don't see you give up stuff that, so that because you love something more, you give up stuff that other people do, and I don't see our life looking any different. Your life looks like everybody else's, and I hear you talking the same way. Yeah, 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 I know that, kid, but we go to church twice a month, and I'm putting you in Sunday school, and those good Sunday school teachers are going to teach you about Jesus because I refuse to. And, and at some point, your kid's going... This ain't truth. You see, at some point in your life, you need to be truthful with yourself. You need to, you need to be truthful with what you really believe. Like if I say to you, you know, who's God or what, what's your life all about? And you say Jesus, but you've just given an answer. You're not really, it's not really true of you. Like at some point, you just need to go, I don't really believe this. Like I don't really believe eternity is on the line. I don't. I don't know what I believe. But I don't really believe that this is temporary. I actually believe that this is all there is. And so, so I spend all my money. Like, I'd rather be there where you're like, yeah, I, I don't really believe that eternity's coming. So I'm going to spend all my money here. I'm going to buy the nicest cars I can get. I'm going to do nothing. I can appreciate that. Like, I, when, when are you going to get honest and go, I don't really believe that I'm going to stand before God someday. And I'm going to look at him and I'm going to say, I was fully committed to you. And I know that he's going to hold me accountable for the things that he put placed into my life, what he put me over, what he called me to do. He's going to, like, at some point, you need to look at yourself and go, I don't believe. That's crap. That's crap. Like, just think about it. If you don't believe that, you shouldn't come to church anymore. And here's why. Because essentially what you're saying is, is I live a very temporary life. So I need to take every advantage of every moment that I get to use it to have fun and build memories with myself and my family and my kids and all those things. So you are stupid. Can I say that to you again? When you waste two hours a week sitting in a church building. Can, can, I, can I say it to you again? If you don't believe, don't come to church twice a month and put in a couple dollars like, use that money to do what you're, obviously what you're saying is, my life is temporary. I'm not worried about eternity. I'm not worried about eternity. I need to get mine right now, spend as much time on myself, do all those things. So at some point, you need to look at the mirror and you go, do I really believe this? Or is this crap? Like, is, is God really real? Did he really create the earth? Did he really send Jesus to save my sins? Did Jesus really die on the cross for my sins, sacrifice his life in my place? Did he really call me to give up everything and carry my cross and follow him, become a disciple, do the things that he did, go the places that he went, reach the people that he called me to reach? Or is it just a story and I'm just raising my kids in a religious environment and I can pick this or I can pick a Muslim, of the Muslim faith or the Buddhist faith or the Mormon faith or the Catholic faith, by the way? way they're all fake they're all fake and I know that's offensive but sometimes your 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 faulty beliefs need to be offended back to truth they're all wrong at some point you need to look and go 
either Jesus is, is right or, or, or he's not. You need to be truthful. And what he's saying basically is just be truthful. Oh, it, listen, if you really believe it's the truth, make the altar, pick your bull, and start praying. Just, just go after it. Just, just spend all of your time doing it. A few, a few years ago, we got an email from somebody who went to this church, and it was a young man that I was fairly close with. And his email, I, I hated getting it, but I could appreciate it. It just said, I need to be honest with you. I love when Christians are honest, by the way. It's a good thing. He said, I need to be honest with you. He said, I, I, I think I'm going against what I, what I really believe and who I'm really supposed to be, and so I'm going to be leaving the church to, to pursue a different lifestyle. But I wanted you to know because, you know, you, you've, you've been, we've been pretty close over the last few years. And so before I leave, I want to make sure you guys understand that. But I'm, but I'm leaving. And in my heart, I broke for him because he's wrong, 100% wrong. He's walked away from the grace of God and he's destined for hell. And that breaks my heart. But you know what I appreciate? I appreciate the honesty. I, I, I appreciate the honesty. I appreciate a church that's not PC. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, I appreciate a, a church that's able to hand the truth. What I found is, is a pastor who's involved in a church like that that won't offend people often leads a, pa- a church that likes to pretend. And, and, and at some point, uh, we just need to be honest with, with, with ourselves. We, we, we need to look in the mirror and go, do I really believe what I say I believe? Like, if my heart could stop tomorrow, if it could be done tomorrow, am I really living the life that I'm supposed to live in, in, in the midst of the people that I'm supposed to be talking to about Jesus? And so at some point, you got to be honest with yourself. I don't really believe this, or I do believe this, one or the other. You fully go in or you fully go out. And then number two is this, and you can come, you can come play because I'm going to wrap this up pretty, pretty quickly, but you'll see number two. You're truthful with yourself, and then you, the next step is let's go, I'm going to commit totally to this faith. Or... I'm going to commit totally to this life outside of faith. I'm going to commit totally to this faith, or I'm going to commit totally to my life outside of my faith. You'll notice what he does, and I want to read this to you in 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to go quickly. He says, so they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called the name of Baal from morning until noontime. Four hours. I mean, they're shocked nothing's happening, right? 450 of them, they're calling on the name of Baal, shouting, oh, Baal, answer us. Not even going. It's been three years of this crap, and he's never answered you. We just got to ask more. So they get louder and louder and louder, the Bible says. Then they started to dance. They hobbled around on the altar that they had made. Could you just see these guys? These gals are just dancing around. They're shouting, Baal, 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 Baal. Elisha, he's... He's solid in his faith. He's just watching them. And I love this part of the story. This is why I love the Bible. The Bible says that about noontime, four hours into it, Elisha begins to mock them. Begins to look at them. And this is what he begins to say. Maybe you need to shout louder. Like you're not loud enough, right? For surely he is your God. Perhaps he's daydreaming. Or the Bible says relieving himself. For some of you are like, what does that mean? Going to the bathroom. Or maybe he's away on a trip or he's asleep and you need to wake him up. Dance louder. Dance for your God. Perform for your God. Give up everything for your God. Listen to what scripture says. It says it keeps going. It says they shout it louder. And following their normal custom, they begin to cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. Dancing around, cutting themselves. 
Blood is flowing all over the place. I mean, I can't believe people do that. You perform for your God every week. You perform for your God. You're a puppet of your God. Some like, I would never do that. Oh, yeah? Think about the health problems you have because of the worries you brought into your life because you're consistently performing for a false God. Are you paying attention to me? Are you seeing me? Do, do you hear me? And I got respect for these guys. Now, I've often told our staff, you know, Islam is a false religion. It's an evil religion. But I have more respect for the Muslim who lives out their religion than I do for the Christian who's apathetic about it any day of the week. That's just where I land. The Muslim who says, convert or die, then I am for the Christian who says, I don't know if it's real or not. I don't want to judge anybody. I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want people not to like me. Meanwhile, your friends are cutting themselves at the altar of their God. Their life is in, in destitute. It's, just, it's aimed for destruction. And you're looking at them going, I don't, I don't want them to think I'm weird. I don't want to be by myself. I don't want anybody to, to, and what he says, he says, commit totally. So they do that for hours, the Bible says, until dinner time. They just keep going. I can just imagine blood is everywhere. And of course, Baal doesn't answer because Baal's fake. And so then Elijah steps up. He says, sit down, idiots. They sit down. And the Bible says that he goes to his servants. He says, hey, put the, put the, put the calf on there. Cut it up. Arrange it. He says, before I pray, go get, go get four buckets of water. Which, by the way, the most important resource of that day because they're in a famine, right? Dump the water. Get four more buckets. Dump the water. Get four more buckets. Dump the water. Things soaked. You talk about committing totally. That's overcommitting. Looks up to heaven and scripture says he prays. Enough of this, God. Show everybody you're real. I mean, I could not even imagine this. I'd be whispering this, God. No, no, no. Show everyone you're real. And the Bible says that he proclaims, praise to God, and fire from heaven. Like, I mean, could you imagine the people, they're going, holy crap, there's a real God. And it's not bad, we've been wrong. For so, I love that moment in somebody's life. There's a real God, and it's not the God we've been following. It's the true God in heaven, the one who's going to send his son to die on the cross for our sins. And the Bible says the fire just explodes, and he's totally committed to it. At some point, you've got to decide. Listen, if money is your God, just go serve it. Don't ever give anything away, because that's going to get in the way of your worship. Buy as much as you can possibly buy. Get the biggest house you can possibly get. Get the nicest clothes and the biggest car because money's your God. Commit totally to it. If sex is your God, have sex with everything that moves and then some. Like just do it. Who cares? Marriage, blah. Who cares about your marriage? Just worship your God. If your body's your God, that's a new God. Go as vegan as you can possibly go. Tan it, tweak it tuck it exercise 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 make sure you're away on Sundays to worship your God to run your 5k or 10k or whatever the heck your stupid bumper sticker says on the back of your car that I could not figure out until I googled it last week what does 13.1 mean just go all in or go this is stupid I'm cutting myself, I'm wailing, I'm watching the temporary. At some point, 
I need to figure out who I'm going to commit to and I'm going to commit totally. And I love the last point. Check this out. Number three, you need to kill brutally. <gasps> the best part of the story is the story they never told me in Sunday school because it's too gruesome. The Bible says fire comes down from heaven. And I love this part in the book, the book of 1 Kings. Check out what it says. Verse number 40. It says, Then Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and he killed them. Every one of them. What? There's a message there. At some point, you are going to have to kill off your fake God or opposing God. At some point, if you decide temporary is my life, money is my God, sex is my God, body is my God, career is my God, at some point you're going to need to look at Jesus and go, you're not enough for me. Because here's the thing, he requires everything from you or he will take nothing from you. Can, can I tell you that again? The God of the universe, the one who sacrificed his son on your behalf, the one who defeated your sin and rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of his father and intercedes for you to come home. He will take all of you or he will have none of you. The Bible says he is a jealous God. That's the only way that it works. So you need to think about it. If you're not ready to go all in, Christianity is not for you. Try something different. It's not for you. You either go all in or, or, or you're all out. You fatally kill the other part. You say, I'm done with that. If it's alcohol, I'm done with that. If there's relationships that have destroyed me, I'm done with that. Whatever I need to kill off in my life in order to worship the one true God, I'm going to do that. Or, I'm done with you. I'm not come in here and pretend. This is stupid. I'm going to give you two times a month. Expect you to be okay with that. I'm going to give you a couple bucks here and there. I'm going to read a couple mugs with Christian verses on them. I'm going to put a Christian fish on the back of my car. I'm even going to send my kids to Awana. Meanwhile, I'm going to serve everything else. I'm going to be on vacation, you know, 17 months, weeks of the year. Sports, weddings, showers, sickness, don't feel like it. Whatever it is, at some point you need to go, this is dumb. You're not supposed to come here because you're guilty. If you come here any week of the month, any week of the year, and you're coming here because you feel guilty that you have not been here in a couple weeks, you're not really in relationship with Jesus Christ anyways. Because this is not a place of condemnation. Even when you screw up, he still wants to see you. Guess why? Because he loved you while you were a screw up. And he's going to continue to love you even though you screw up. So if you come here ever going, oh God, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. I better, get, better check God off my box. You might as well just go, this is dumb. Let me just fully get in. I got to fully exercise. I got to fully run. I got to fully tweak it. I got to fully go after my, my God. Worship here, worship here. Decide. If God's real, follow God. Bail's real. Follow Bail. Would you stand with me?